2: And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Day Radio. I am your host, Miriam Marston, and thanks again for taking some time this week to listen to stories of how God is moving hearts and changing lives. My guest this week, Matt Regner, gives us another story which shows us the mysterious and marvelous ways that the Holy Spirit is at work in our world. I had reached out to Matt originally because I'd come across an article he'd written entitled, Parishioners Don't Belong at the Parish. It was a very intriguing title, and I enjoyed his perspective on evangelization and ministry, so I invited him to the show to hear a little bit more. It's interesting, he found himself a little unexpectedly in the world of parish ministry, uh, specifically serving in liturgy and evangelization. It wasn't something he'd really planned, but then again, God's plans are always better than our own. But long before working in ministry was even on the radar, Matt mentions that it was primarily through being a member of a choir that he remained connected to the church for at least a number of years. This really resonated with me and perhaps with others who have had the experience of getting connected in one way or another at a local church and having that be the main thing that tethers you to the faith and to the community— it might be serving at a food pantry or singing on Sundays or setting up for coffee and donuts. It could be lots of different things, but the point is it's, it's something that helps establish a deeper bond with the church community. And I myself joined a parish choir in the third grade, and they actually had me cantering pretty soon after that. So I was leading the Psalms and other parts of the Mass and doing um, quite a lot of solos. I think the choir director um, figured out pretty quickly that I didn't have a fear of singing in public, so I guess that was enough to qualify me to serve as a cantor, even at a young age. And so I stayed singing in a choir until I was about 20 years old and that's when I experienced a crisis of faith and I really wasn't sure what I believed in so I stopped um really all church ministry while I figured things out. And after about a year or so, I had come through a pretty big turning point in my spiritual life, and and I had returned to the Mass um, after having explored a few other religions and philosophies. But in the end, I realized I just needed to come back home to the church. Um, But anyways, instead of jumping right back into a choir, I tried something different for a little while. I sat in the back pew. Now, again, keep in mind that most of my life up until that point, I'd been singing in a choir, which meant I was often near the front of the church. But here's the odd thing. Even with a front row seat, I think I'd missed what the mass was really all about. All those years of singing church music, and I wasn't totally sure why we were doing it to begin with or, or what we were truly a part of each week. So sitting in the back pew for a while gave me a chance to participate in the mass in a new way, frankly, the way it was probably intended, not thinking about the next song I'm going to sing or looking for a cough drop because I felt a little tickle in my throat. None of that was on my mind. I could just focus on the altar, listen to the words. And you know, one thing that caught my attention was when the whole congregation spoke the various responses during the liturgy, I was struck by the collective breath that was taken before each response. It really felt like I was part of a body. And indeed, that's what the church is, the body of Christ. And there it was in front of me, breathing and speaking as one. Now, eventually I returned to singing in a choir, but not before I'd received this education on what was truly happening at each and every Mass. Now I understood why I was singing. And that can bring us to a key part of evangelization. I'm thinking specifically here of reaching those who are already in the pews, those who might be going through the motions or running on automatic every Sunday while their minds are on something else for that hour. In this case, the mission of evangelization is as simple as reminding parishioners what it's all about, why the gospel makes a radical difference in our lives, and what is at the heart of all of our worship. So please enjoy my conversation with Matt, who shares how his own ministry has, among other things, led him to ask the Lord for help in making more non-Catholic friends. And as usual, I'll be back with a brief reflection on the other side of the interview. I'm delighted to welcome Matt Regner to the show. Matt is the Director of Liturgy and Evangelization at Blessed Sacrament Parish in Madison, Wisconsin. Matt, it's great to have you on today. How are you?
0: Doing great. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, Matt, could you go ahead and share with us um, how Christ was shared with you? What what did that look like and what were some of the twists and turns along the way?
0: Yeah, it's a great, deep and probing question. Um, It's fun. I get to reflect on this question at least twice a year with... Um, parishioners that I lead through a little um, evangelization training group. So I've kind of been able to explore some of those different paths and tangents. Um, Mm -hmm. Pretty standard story for a lot of people my age. Grew up in a Catholic family. Um, We went to Sunday Mass, did all that kind of stuff, but it wasn't necessarily a robust living out of the faith. And I don't fault my parents for anything like that, but Mm -hmm. um, it kind of lived that Sunday Mass going life. I went to public school uh, my whole life growing up because my parents were, lo- were both public school teachers. Mm-hmm. So it was really when I was in middle school and I started to sing at my parish. I played the string bass and stuff like that. I took piano lessons with the with the liturgist there. Uh, and so getting involved in the music was kind of the first breaking in of Christ into my life. Um, and I remember in particular the the holy the sacred Triduum was a very moving experience because it's so unlike anything else that we experience, you know, it's especially the Easter vigil, but just the whole, the rich symbolism and ritual of Holy Thursday, Good Friday and Holy Saturday was, it was deeply moving in a way that I didn't fully appreciate at the time, but um, I always looked forward to it and it kind of became an anchor for me, especially in later years. So I went through middle school and high school with, um, I mean, a a nominal sense of faith. I believed in God. I I wouldn't say I knew him in a, very personal way. Um, but I was excited for confirmation was, uh, you know, I had a great, um, godfather who was also my sponsor for confirmation. And it, through that interaction, I kind of grew in my appreciation for what the Christian life could look like. Um, but then when I went off to college, I came here to Madison, UW Madison for college. And I, uh, I studied chemistry and Russian when I came here and I sort of, I, I kind of like took the bait of science versus faith or, mm-hmm. you know, faith versus reason. I didn't really, but I didn't really give it a fair shake. I didn't do the work of trying to understand, you know, is there actually a discrepancy here? So I didn't appreciate the riches of the, the Catholic tradition at that point. Um, in hindsight, it's pretty clear to me that I was uh, just kind of making an excuse for moral license. Like I wasn't a party or anything like that, but I didn't want to be you know, told what to do or, or have that sense of being told what to do. So right. I didn't really put in the work to understand the church um, and I just sort of, I, I wandered away from the faith for like two or three years in the middle of college. I went to mass during freshman year and then came back at the end. But in those middle years, even when I was away, I would, I would always go to some portion of the, of the Triduum, whether I was back in La Crosse or here in Madison, I would find a church because I would know it's Easter week. That's yeah. we're celebrating this kind of high point of the church here. And I would feel drawn to go and seek it out. So I would always go and experience that. Um, I think you know i was looking for something i didn't appreciate it or understand it at the time um, but then like many like many men i was saved by a woman by my wife uh, who we had known each other throughout college and she um it, it was at, it was kind of the timing was right for me because throughout college i had i had friends and um people that i like to hang out with but i had nothing really deep or substantive in terms of true friendship and i was sort of looking for meaning looking for some sort of purpose and so Caitlin and I had this sort of our, this spark reignited between us when we were seniors and she was going to mass. And I thought, well, I'd like to spend time with her and I'm sort of looking for something. So I started to go back to mass with her. And then it was really through her and through the people I started to meet who were, I would say transparent to the Holy spirit, who were really yeah. seeking conformity to Christ that little by little, they sort of helped to uh, soften my stony heart. Um, to encounter Jesus in them and through them and then eventually more in the scriptures and later on through further study when I got my master's in theology. So it was, it began with, like for many people, the personal witness of individuals in my life. And then that was strengthened by more formal study, by more immersion in a life of prayer myself. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, that's ongoing. You know, there's still conversion mm-hmm. and growth to happen up to this day. But that's sort of the broad overview of where I yeah. started. Out here.
2: No, that's beautiful. And and you know, when you're talking about the people that you would encounter, Matt, is it I know you're seeing some I loved that phrase you used. That was it transparent to the Holy Spirit? Was yeah, that it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I love that. That sense of transparency, authenticity, sincerity. Right. Did that come through their actions? Were there conversations you were having at that time? What 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 was kind of happening that you were getting glimpses of Christ through them? What did that look like?
0: I mean, I think primarily it was through their attentiveness to me. It was, it was kind of this, this dogged, (laughs) I'm thinking of one guy in particular, it was not my, my door neighbor, as a matter of fact, uh, this sort of dogged pursuit where I would, he would, you know, we would, we would connect and have a conversation and then he would just continually reach out and find ways to, to connect with me and meet with me kind of, even though he was busier than I was, he would go out of his way to kind of accommodate me. And so just that attentiveness, that sort of, Seeking out of the lost sheep, sort of thing. Um, Yeah, that yeah, that deep appreciation for the individual person. I I felt that and beautiful from him, and then for others who are really seeking to live out that life of Christian discipleship.
2: Yeah, it's it's a running theme I hear on this show is uh, going back to this point that the the love of God is personal, Mm -hmm. Um, and so when we sense that through people, that's how we come to know that God truly loves us in a personal way um so you're you're going through this conversion experience you end up going to study theology is that what you said Mm -hmm. okay and then so how does that all lead you into the the life of ministry that you're in right now Matt?
0: Yeah that's another interesting and wild story so Mm -hmm. I said like I said I studied chemistry in college and I worked as a chemist at UW for about 10 years doing research Mm -hmm. um and at some point in that on that journey I started to not enjoy the academic life. It just, it wasn't for me. I, it wasn't really fulfilling me. Uh, I enjoyed the people I worked with and the work was interesting enough, but I knew it wasn't something that I wanted to do long term. So about five years into that role, I was volunteering here at Blessed Sacrament. There was like a kind of a youth mass that happened once or twice a month and I was playing piano at that mass. Um, and the person who was the full-time director of liturgy and music ended up being fired. My predecessor is fired. and Yeah. It's a whole difficult thing. I mean, that happens. Um, but they were about to hire someone else or I was on the hiring committee and they were thinking about hiring this one woman. And I, I mean, very pridefully thought, well, like, why don't I throw my hat in the ring? Even though I was completely unqualified in, in the sense of, you know, I didn't formally study music. I've done music my whole life. Uh, I didn't formally study any kind of theology or anything like that, but I sort of yeah, pridefully thought that I could do the job. And because I was a known entity, I think more than anything, the pastor thought, well, he's already here. We know who he is and he's no an okay guy. So let's hire him. Um, so it was now that was uh, almost eight years ago that I was hired part time at first. Um, and then I started gradually to take on more roles and responsibilities with regard to the liturgy. And eventually evangelization, a lot of um, person-to-person ministry. But it was you know, like four years ago or five years, yep, four years ago, really, that I kind of more acutely realized my lack of, uh, it's not just credentials, but really I didn't feel fully equipped to work in yeah. ministry. Okay. Um, and so I started to get a certificate at Notre Dame. They have this yeah. online um, step program where you can kind yeah. of get little five-week sessions. Yeah. So I started to do that. And then just fell in love with the theology that I was reading and faculty that I was meeting. And so I decided to go ahead and get my master's in theology to, Beautiful. I mean, largely for personal interest, but also recognizing that it would come or you know, praying that, that it would end up being of benefit to the people that I would serve here at the parish.
2: Awesome. So you have been there in this role, either part-time or full-time, roughly eight years? Yeah, about that long. Awesome. So for those who are just tuning in, I'm speaking with Matt Regner, uh, who is the director of liturgy and evangelization at Blessed Sacrament Parish in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, Matt, I'm interested at this intersection of liturgy evangelization. How, how are you finding in your role that the two really do um, complement each other and intersect with one another? I mean, really, they are inseparable. I mean, could you help us understand why you can't have one without the other uh, liturgy and evangelization?
0: Yeah, I can try. Um, so so there, there are two things that come to mind. I guess there's the theological dimension. I'll, I'll return to that. But then there's mm-hmm. kind of the pragmatic or personal part of it where, yeah. because I'm at pretty much all of our liturgies, I'm the organist, the accompanist. Um, I get to meet people, you know, I, I see them in the pews and I have a chance to connect with people, whether through coordinating <laughs> all the liturgical ministries, like the lectors and ushers and all that stuff, or just meeting people after mass, I have a chance to really encounter everyone regardless of whether they're the you know early Sunday morning mass goers or the vigil mask goers or whatever. So on a pragmatic level I just I get to I get to meet these people and I also kind of I mean the the liturgist is often stereotyped just kind of you know live and die by the rules of the liturgy which isn't a bad thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: But in these personal interactions with people I I appreciate the wide Uh, variety of perspectives and preferences that people have. And so it's the two mutually inform one another so that even as I try to help craft a a beautiful and reverent celebration of the sacred liturgy, I also know there's a kind of, um, you know, slow turning of the ship if it needs to be, if you need to correct the course, um, there's kind of a slow process that happens and I'm able to connect with people to kind of get a sense of how things are landing with them, where mm-hmm. people are at, because I mean, as I'm sure you know, this is a very fraught issue right now in the it church. Is,
2: I was about to say, I think people have opinions about the liturgy <laughs> and, and, and yeah. they do come up, yeah, but it's yeah. good that you're open to hearing them and you're really in a space where you can, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So it's it's a challenging thing to, um, on the one hand, have a kind of vision for what we're trying to do at Blessed Sacrament mm-hmm. and want to. Bring that vision to completion, but also be informed by how other people are receiving it and how it's mm-hmm. yeah how it's landing with people. So that's you know there's that pragmatic side, but then you know theologically, evangelization is I think in the most fundamental sense it's the outward radiation of inward holiness. So if you are not living a sacramental and liturgical life, I mean we grow in holiness through daily prayer, through you know throughout the day many ways of encountering God and growing in holiness, but as the church says, that source and summit of the Christian life, the principal way of encountering God is through the sacraments. And so to receive the Lord and the Holy Eucharist, to meditate on his word at mass, that is kind of the primary locus of growing in holiness, of encountering God. And so the more that we do that and the more we learn to examine our conscience and to receive him well, the more that we grow in conformity to Christ and then radiate his love and mercy and his presence mm-hmm. out into the world, wherever that may be in our workplace, in our family, with our neighbors, love anywhere it. we are.
2: Love it. And, you know, Matt, it can look different at, at different parishes when it comes, I, I think I could grasp, grasp more easily what the role with liturgy would entail. What, what are you doing these days for evangelization? Is it RCIA? Is it in choir? What's, What does your evangelization ministry look like these days at the parish?
0: Yeah, so me specifically, I do most of my time I spend in one on one interactions with people, which is really it can be anything from helping people learn how to pray to. And I mean, most of it is honestly me just asking questions, trying to encourage people to look inside their own heart and to learn how to discern the voice of the Lord amidst the many competing voices of the world. Um, so that as they grow in those practices of daily prayer and receiving the sacraments, they are becoming conformed to him. Um, because again, if they are growing in holiness, then that's how they're going to evangelize the people around them. Uh, on a broader level the parish, I would say a lot of our time is sort of, now that we're coming more out of COVID, there's more opportunities to have kind of social gatherings and get togethers with people. And so those, I kind of see them functioning as a funnel where you get a chance to get a lot of people together and grow in community, but then it's, I think really critical that we as parish staff connect individually with those people and find a way to support them one-on-one. Again, having those conversations that I was just talking about.
2: Um, Yeah, and and you're right. I think now that we're more properly coming out of COVID mode, again, rediscovering these opportunities, both one-on-one and in small groups and in large groups for sure. Um, so, So Matt, that means there would be someone else doing RCIA, for instance, and faith formation. It's separate from, or not separate. Of course, all of these things overlap. (laughs) But um, it sounds like really your focus is connection with people. And that's connection with people who are already in the pews, correct?
0: It is. yeah. Uh, Principally that, although it's been interesting, I've kind of, uh, starting a couple months ago, I I started to to pray that the Lord would help me to make more non-Catholic friends. Because Mm -hmm. growing up in public schools, that's like what, those were the people I hung out with. It was mostly non Catholics. Um, and then you move into the world of ministry and you kind of become ensconced in this insularity where it's like, all I know are other Catholics. And I'm, I kind of, there's a, it's easy to forget what what the rest of the real world looks like. Oh yeah, I'm, so,
2: in a to, I'm in a total Catholic bubble, Matt. I'm yeah, right there.
0: <laughs> which is great in many ways, but yeah. it's also, it can be dangerous when it comes to evangelization. Like how do we connect with people who are not yeah. in that particular um place of life. And so there are musicians that I hired to play at Christmas, Easter, and other high points of the liturgical years at strings and brass. Mm -hmm. And over uh, over the course of uh, now seven years, one of the the violinists that plays, I've gotten to know him little by little. And we had him and his wife and son over for dinner earlier this summer. We're going to their place for dinner uh, in the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And so that is, even though most of my time is really spent with parishioners who are already here, I'm you know, asking the Lord to help me meet other people, and then trying to be receptive and um, courageous in those opportunities that come up to reach out to other people. Not, not even really with um, like a kind of heavy-handed approach, just to get to know them and to help reveal the face of Christ to them in some fashion.
2: Yeah, oh, that's great. I think honestly, that's that's a prayer um, that would resonate with me. I think I should I should do that as well to pray. Okay, Lord introduce me to people who are not part of this little Catholic world that I, that I inhabit and just to kind of break branch out. Um, so I'm hoping that reaches our listeners um, who yeah. feel inspired to maybe say a similar prayer and see who the Lord uh, brings their way. Matt, are there uh, along the way, um, have you been gravitating towards like certain saints or devotions or um, mm-hmm especially kind of in the last few years, do you find yourself gravitating towards a few of those?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I would say personally, I have a great love for St. Augustine Uh, when I read his confessions and um, I had the privilege of working through the city of God with a professor at Notre Dame and his, uh, his willingness to look inward, to like to take an honest look at the human heart and the human mind is I think really unparalleled. Uh, And it's, doesn't pull any punches and I've appreciated that as I've kind of, as I myself prepare for the sacrament of confession or even just,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um, an evaluation of conscience at the end of the day, his example is uh, a great one. So I, I turn to St. Augustine often and St. Joseph, of course, I have, I have four kids of my own, so I have to rely on St. Joseph and his intercession is a great gift. St. Dominic as a Dominican parish. Um, and then as a family, we, you know, we haven't prayed, I forget what it is, like the litany of the Sacred Heart or something like that. I'm not sure if it's Mm -hmm. a litany. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have, for our 10-year wedding anniversary, my wife and I commissioned this huge, beautiful icon of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so we have this devotion to Sacred Heart um, that we would share in his own heart for others. We would grow in our love, especially for the poor, um, Mm -hmm. but for anyone who comes our way. So we have a devotion to the Sacred Heart, although we don't pray the litany maybe as often as we could. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, those are the ones that come to mind.
2: That's beautiful. Matt, uh, we're coming up at the end of our time together. I just, I'm so grateful for your time today and for uh, this opportunity to hear a bit of your story and hearing how the Holy Spirit's been moving through your life and bringing you, uh, into this ministry, um, of liturgy and evangelization. So I just ask that God continue to bless you, your family, and the good work you're doing to build up the kingdom. Thanks very much. All right. God bless you, Matt.
0: You too.
2: In the conclusion of the article I mentioned earlier, again it's entitled, Parishioners Don't Belong at the Parish, Matt writes the following, It took decades, even centuries in a certain sense, for the Church to get to where she is right now, and when it comes to disaffiliation, I doubt that we have yet bottomed out. We therefore have no reason to expect that her recovery will happen at a faster rate. In the same way that it takes months and years of improved dietary habits and consistent exercise for an unhealthy body to grow healthy once more, so it will take many years for the body of Christ to recover. We can take hope, however, in the fact that it does not rest on our shoulders alone. Though we must be ready to act on the promptings of the Holy Spirit, we, like St. Paul, can be confident that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. So, if the idea of flipping parish ministry on its head by prioritizing individuals over groups seems daunting, bear in mind that the Lord will work all these things out according to His good pleasure. In the meantime, the best we can do is to root ourselves ever more deeply in Him and his love, and to respond to the needs of those individuals that he puts before us on any given day. To that point, here is a final thought. A friend of mine, a Dominican friar, recently told me a story about his visit to a university that had just built a new library. Noticing that it was surrounded by nothing but grass, my friend asked a maintenance worker, where are all the sidewalks? Those of us who work for the church would do well to consider the answer he received. Once we see where the students walk, then we will build them. In other words, rather than placing the sidewalks according to their plan and expecting the students to conform, the people in charge of the project decided to follow their lead. Can we approach the work of evangelization in the same way, paying attention to where the people are already walking instead of offering them a predetermined path? So I will echo my guest's challenge and invitation this week. Let's try to find an opportunity to walk alongside those who the Lord places in our path and to do so with trust, knowing that the Lord will guide our interactions and our conversations, because sometimes evangelization can be as simple as getting out of the way and really allowing the Holy Spirit to take the lead. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue to blaze a trail of faith, hope, and love here in the Pacific Northwest. Until then, stay close to Christ. God bless you all.
1: You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, Visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon.